turn your Bibles to John 10, I just want to thank first my husband, our pastor, for allowing me to speak this morning. And I don't know if some of you guys caught it last week, but Pastor Paul said, I want to thank Sister Chala for this opportunity. And that was an inside joke. I just want you to know that I don't, I don't lead this church. My husband and I lead this church. And so when he said that, it was an inside joke because I was supposed to speak last week, and I just was not feeling, uh, I was not uh, fully prepared. And so I asked my husband, I said, can you please ask Pastor Paul to speak this week? Because I just, I'm not ready. And so I was praying, and I asked the Lord, Father, I need you to confirm this word to me because I'm scared to deliver this message. And God said, okay. Of course, he always confirms his word to me. And so I got my... I always ask him for, like, specific confirmations because to speak the word, it's, it's holy, it's sacred, and it's not to be taken lightly. And so I got my first confirmation, then I got my second confirmation, and then when Pastor Paul came up here and spoke his message, I got my third confirmation. And so in a divine way, I knew that it was God's will that Pastor Paul spoke that Sunday because how many of us know the word of God was spoken clearly? Amen. And so I just want to thank, of course, the ministers for allowing me to speak this morning in the minister's wives. It's a privilege, amen? So um, let's pray really quickly. Lord, I just thank you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, speak. We want to give you the glory and the honor. We want to be a people that listen to your voice and obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn your Bibles to John 10. Um, we'll start in verse 1. It says, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter into the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will, they, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to, Jesus, to them. Then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and I will, and, um, excuse me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You may all take your seats. And so we're reading a scripture about Jesus explaining how he is the good shepherd and how we are his sheep. And before I get into um more into the scripture, I'd like to explain what the sheepfold means, because Jesus says it several times here, just to have a clearer understanding. The sheepfold was a shelter for enclosing and protecting sheep. A simple sheepfold had four roughly built stone walls high enough to keep wild animals out. Sometimes the top of the wall would be lined up with thorns to further discourage any predators or thieves from coming in to harm or steal the sheep. The single entrance made it easier for the shepherd to guard his flock. So there was one entrance in order to get into the sheepfold, okay? At times, there were shepherds that would share the sheepfold with other shepherds, and they would put their, all their sheep into that one sheepfold. And what was so amazing and mind-boggling about this is that 
um, when they would share the sheepfold and when it was time to gather their sheep, they, it would be easy to divide the sheep, the sheep up because the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. And so it was never a problem to put all the sheep together. It was a matter of what voice they heard. And when they heard their master or their shepherd's voice, they followed that which belonged or recognized, them to, uh, recognized for them. Amen? Amen. So the same as the sheep or the sheepfold is here in these biblical times. And even today, they, there's men that, that um, have herds of sheep and goats and animals. But this is the same way as the sheep and the shepherd were back in these biblical days. It's the same way that Jesus is with us. He is the great shepherd, and we are his sheep. Amen? Some of us, um, I don't know if you've ever studied sheep, but they say that sheep are a little stupid, right? But it seems like they're actually pretty smart because if they recognize the shepherd's voice from the enemy's voice, that takes some intelligence and some discernment. So this morning, I want to tell you that you're a smart sheep. Tell your neighbor, you're a smart sheep. And then go, bah. There you go. This, this scripture describes how Jesus was explaining to his disciples and that how we were compared to them. But he also describes a couple more things that kind of stood out, or let's say did stand out. And so here he talks about the enemy is out to kill, steal, and destroy. And so even though there was a sheepfold, that doesn't mean that there wasn't a threat. It means that there was a threat, because when there's a threat, you, pr you put a protection around whatever that is that you value, correct? Whenever I'm around my children, I'm always looking. Who's with my kids? Where are my kids at? I got to make sure they're safe, because I'm trying to make sure I have a wall of protection around them, right? Same thing with your marriages. We put a wall. We pray a wall of protection over our marriages, over our families, even over our callings. And so here, as the scripture describes how Jesus was explaining to his disciples, he was also explaining how the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Now, some of us might feel like, but I'm saved. How can the enemy come in? I'm saved. Like, there's no way. But the truth is, we live in a fallen world, and so, yes, there is spiritual warfare that takes place, even in our salvation, that just because we are saved and sanctified and saved by the grace of God doesn't mean that the enemy is still not going to come and attack. The enemy is not just out there in the world, but he's here in the church. But greater is he that is in us, amen, than he that is in the world. And so I want to... I want to break down or I want to look further into what kill, steal, and destroy means. And so I don't want to discourage you, but I feel like I need to warn you. And as a Christian and as a watchman, the watchman's job is to blow the trumpet when the enemy's coming so that when the enemy comes, we know what to do. It's when the watchman doesn't blow their trumpet that the enemy comes in and, de and, and destroys everything. And guess whose blood is on their hands? It's the watchman's. And so I pray this morning that the word is spoken and the word is spoken clearly of what I'm going to share this morning. So the first tactic that Jesus told his disciples is that the thief does not come except to steal. And how many of us have ever had or have been robbed? I know some of you, I know a lot of you guys robbed people, but how many of you have ever been robbed? I've been robbed. And Sister Dana, you know very well what a thief is. She's an ex-thief. I love her stories. You should ask her her stories. They're so amazing because you see how God has changed her. But the first tactic that Jesus said that the enemy comes in to do is to steal. And so when you, if you've ever been robbed, there's like a violation there, right? You feel so vulnerable and so, you know, oh, like your, your antennas are up. You're alert about everything. And I've been robbed before. I was robbed three times. 
and every time that I was robbed, man, there was such a violation, such a distrust, such a um, grief in my soul that somebody would violate me in that way. And it wasn't just by strangers. It was by people that I trusted. And that was hard for me to accept because I was violated with my trust, right? And so here, I want to break down a little bit about what steal means. And so it's, it means here, in the Greek, it means klepto. Have you guys ever said, man, he's a kleptomaniac? That's where the word comes from, from the Greek. So you're speaking Greek and you don't even know it. But it means a klepto. It means to commit a theft, to take away by theft, to come or go unexpectedly, to take something that does not belong to you without permission. From the beginning of time, Satan has always been out to steal from us. He's robbed us of our dignity, of our purity, of our minds, of our integrity, of our faith. There's so much that the enemy has wanted to steal from us. And even when we were born, he began the work against us. And even though we're in church now, that doesn't mean that the enemy's not out to steal, kill, and destroy us. Another definition for thief is this. It means an embezzler. That's pretty heavy, right? I also want to share this because this is where I want to go, is that it also means false teachers who do not care to instruct the flock but abuse their confidence for their own gain. I want to remind you that Jesus is talking about the flock, about his people, about the church. He's not talking about the world. We're talking about what happens inside the church, okay? And 2 Peter 2 Chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, it explains further. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, please go ahead. But it says, if not, but there were also false prophets among the people. Just as there will be false teachers among you, they will um, secretly introduce destructive, damnable heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. Destruction means to utterly destroy, destroying. It also means perishing, ruin, and it also means, or it also um, refers to money. The destruction would consist of eternal misery in hell. And so here these false teachers were coming in preaching a false doctrine even those who were bought by the blood of Jesus who accepted Christ who knew Jesus somehow the enemy came in and deceived them and they began to turn and twist and manipulate the word for their own gain how many guys have ever heard of those prophets or those uh, pastors who are out there preaching um, gospels that aren't true or gospels that are are questioned How many of us have ever heard of men saying that I am Jesus? And they're like, they have these large churches. That's how the Satan's coming in. That he's coming in even trying to deceive the believer into thinking that Jesus is here on earth already. No, that's false. Those are, those are, excuse me, I want to say it really quickly because I won't be able to say it again. Is they're preaching damnable heresies. That's some heavy stuff because what those doctrines lead to is straight hell. False doctrine, when you deny the truth and you believe a lie, where do those lies lead us to? Also, this is heavy scripture because we think this doesn't happen in the church. 
no way, this can't, but it does. There are ways that there are false teachers and false prophets that come into the church, and some of them are coming through prosperity preaching. How many of us know, know a couple prosperity preachers? All they do is preach about money, 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 money. And then they're driving fancy cars and buying very expensive planes and having multi-million dollar homes. Where do you think they get that from? And people are believing it. They think it's okay. Another uh preaching that is being preached is homosexuality. I heard this week that some churches um, are preaching that, I don't know if some of you guys know who these characters are, but it's um, Jonathan and David. They were a very special um, uh, team of, of men in the Bible where King David and his best friend Jonathan, he was this king's son at that time. Um, king David wasn't a king yet. He was still working for the king and what happened was they knew um, they had a bond that was so close. And the Bible says that their souls were knitted together, that they were so bonded. They had a, what do you call a soul tie that was healthy. It wasn't a perverted soul tie, but it was a healthy soul tie that God had given these men to each other, that they had a bond that was, unbre that was unbreakable. And so here you have a community, and let me just Side note here, I don't condemn the homosexual. I condemn the sin because the Bible says that it's an abomination to the Lord. And so I don't condemn the homosexual who struggles in that. No, I condemn the sin, not the person, okay? I want to make that clear. But there are preachers and churches that are saying that it's okay to live this lifestyle. It's okay to, you know, be homosexual and serve God and God will forgive you and accept you. No, that's not what we preach here. These are false doctrines that is being preached behind the pulpit. And we have to know the truth because this is not the word of God. This is not what the Bible says about what a true relationship is. Another way that they're preaching or false teachers are coming in and false prophets are coming in is by not preaching hell. That there are people, pastors, preachers that are preaching that there is no hell. That once saved, always saved. Has anybody ever heard that or is it just me? I know I've heard it plenty of times and I know that the word of God talks about hell and that there is a place in there is a place called hell for Satan and his angels and even those who reject the truth and reject Jesus. Jesus doesn't send us to hell. We send ourselves to hell. Okay? And so I'm sharing about how the enemy comes in. And this is how he's trying to come in to deceive the church. And these things that, these, that the enemy is doing, this is a road leading to destruction. This is a road leading straight to hell. And we have to be aware of how the enemy is coming in. Another way that the enemy comes in is through false prophets. Has anybody ever given you a word and you're just like, wait, what? What did you say? What did you, I don't understand what you're talking about. I remember I had somebody prophesy over me, and my spirit did not bear witness. And I'll tell you, it did not come to pass. But it bothered me because if I had not been prayed up and not been in my word, I might have believed that word, and I might not be standing here today in the will of God. We have to be careful, sheep. That's who we are. Another way that the enemy comes in, this is what really got me. He comes to steal and to kill. I want to talk about what the definition is here. And he comes to kill, mean, in me, meaning 
to sacrifice, to immolate, to slay, kill, or um, to slaughter, to like slaughter a lamb, slaughter um, sacrifices to gods. And I want to focus on the sacrifice part because we immediately think when we hear the scripture, the enemy's out to kill, still and destroy me. I'm going to die. He wants to kill me. Actually, let's go deeper, okay? Because sometimes we're not stupid. We're not going to walk into, you know, a place and say, just kill me, you know, devil, just kill me. No. There are deception, deceitful ways that the enemy comes in. And one of them, one of the ways here is to sacrifice, okay? It's an act of offering to a deity something precious, especially the killing of a victim on an altar or something offered in sacrifice. History tells us that culture from all over the world used to perform these human sacrifices, from men in the Bible to the Egyptians, from the Aztecs to the Japanese. These human sacrifices were, were the way to appease the gods and to find favor so the result that they needed would manifest. And so ever ask yourself, what came over me? Have you ever observed your odd behavior? We can become bewitched by the enemy at times and cause us to think things that aren't real. The enemy can bewitch us if we're not careful. And I want to share what bewitch means really quickly. It means to charm, to bewitch, to bring evil on one by fanning an evil eye, to seduce, to speak, to speak ill of one or to slander to put a spell on someone. And so when you think, or when I thought of this, it was, it was mind-boggling to even co uh, contain this information because I thought, wow, like, okay, so I'm not literally going to be the sacrifice to Satan. However, as I'm thinking about things in my life and I open up the door for the enemy to come into my mind, my mind begins to be bewitched. My mind begins to think things that aren't real. My mind begins to put fake scenarios of what could be. And when I begin to open up the door to the enemy, this is where Satan comes in and speaks lies into our mind. This is where those odd moments you have, you begin to act out of the normal. You begin to act out of character. And you begin to ask yourself, have you, uh, like the other couple years ago, my husband and I, we would get into fights and, you know, I'm done with you. No, I'm done with you. And we would go at it. And then the next morning, we would think like, man, what came over me? What was I thinking? Like, I can't believe I even said that to you. And what happened was, maybe not him, but maybe me. I was bewitched to believe something that wasn't real. It was like somebody had put a spell on me and made me think there was no hope in this marriage. There is no way that you're going to be able to stay married to this man. There was no way that you're going to get the victory in this marriage. And so I had been deceived and my mind had been, you know, brought to a place that wasn't even true. And so how does this happen? He bewitches us. How does this, how do affairs happen? How do divorces happen? How do pastors fall? How do people leave the, sheep the sheepfold? Because of a deception that the enemy has brought into the church. Because he wants us to think things that aren't real. He wants us to believe lies that aren't even true. I even spoke to a young woman, and this is not the first story that I've heard, but this is so many stories that come to me. And that this young woman was saying, man, I was just thinking about my past. 
I was thinking about how good it was back then, and I, I started listening to that music, and I started thinking about that old boyfriend, and I started thinking, man, what would have happened if I had just, you know, stayed with this guy? Where would I be? Maybe life would have been better. Maybe me and this guy would have gotten married, and it would have been great. And, you know, my marriage over here, I'm having trouble with my husband, and he's not paying attention to me. He doesn't listen to me. He's insensitive to me. And you know what? This other guy, he loved me. He used to hit on me, but I know he loved me deep down inside. That's the way that the enemy bewitches us. He begins to put spells of lies over our lives, and we begin to be deceived, to believe that this is possibly another option of life. And where I'm going with this is that the enemy would love to sacrifice, not you, but your marriage. Because he made you believe that if you sacrifice your marriage in exchange for another person, or if you sacrifice your calling in exchange for something else that isn't even real, there's the sacrifice that's taking place. The enemy wants to sacrifice your calling, the enemy wants to sacrifice your, your children. The enemy wants to sacrifice your anointing. And when these people would put sacrifices to these gods, there was something in exchange. They believed that when they did these human sacrifices and other sacrifices, that the gods would come in exchange and give them what they needed. And that's how the enemy comes in, that he almost can cause us to believe that if you just Go to the left, Chella, and don't listen to your pastors. Don't listen to your leaders. Just go. You hear from God. You're going to get the result you want, and yet that's not even the truth. Isn't that heavy? That the enemy would want us to sacrifice our lives, our callings, our anointing for a mere season of sin or a mere season of, of fun. But season runs out. Those seasons run out. Sin only lasts for a season. The fun of sin only lasts for a season. And so this is how the enemy comes in, to want to, to cause us to think that it's okay to trade and exchange and sacrifice these things for things that aren't even real. Isn't that heavy? Remember, I want to remind you that I'm talking about what happens in the church. It's not what happens outside. This is what happens in the sheepfold, Okay? The third point is uh, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you hear the definition of destroyed, it also means marred. It means to put out of the way entirely, to abolish, to put an end to ruin, to render useless, to kill. This means to kill. Also means to perish, to be lost, to be destroyed, to detract from the perfection of wholeness, spoil, to inflict serious bodily harm, to destroy. When I read these words, I also think of how the enemy wants to ruin our name, ruin our testimony, to mar. That's heavy. When you hear the word mar, it means that it was something that was good at one time, and somehow it was um, tainted. Somehow it was um, broken or ruined or something happened to this perf perfection vessel, this perfect vessel, and the enemy was able to come in and just destroy it. And in the church, we're always talking about guard your testimony, guard your name, guard your marriage, guard your wife, 
Guard your husband. Guard your children. Because there is an enemy out there that knows that he is a defeated foe. He knows that he's going to hell. He knows that there is power in Jesus. But what his tactic will be is let me bring a flaw or let me bring a, a, an attack against this man's testimony. Let me deceive this young woman, this young man to, to think that it's okay to be alone and, and do what they want to do. And nobody will say anything, but behind closed doors, their testimony is being marred. It's being tainted. It's being flawed. That this is why we live in a world today where people don't want to follow God. They don't want to hear the gospel. They don't want to come to church. You know why? Because there are believers out there that praise Jesus on a Sunday, that praise God and worship and cry and come to the altars. And then on Monday, they're smoking, getting high, committing adultery, committing fornication, getting drunk. And you know what happens? We belittle the name of Jesus. We take the power out of what Christ has done in our lives. And we wonder why Muslims are growing and that they're the largest religion in the world that is expanding. And we have a responsibility to have that power, to allow that power to flow through us. And I, God forbid that our world is taken over by an enemy and causes us to have to follow that. It grieves me when I see people It just grieves me because I remember, I remember being lost. I remember wanting to commit suicide. I remember I attempted suicide. I remember I was going from stranger to stranger, telling me things that I wanted to hear, and yet they were using me. I remember getting high and drunk and hearing voices telling me I was nothing. I remember those days where I was so bond, so in bondage. I didn't think there was a way out. But when Jesus came literally into my life, I heard those chains broken. And I didn't have to go back to my alcohol. I didn't have to go back to those men. I didn't have to go back to getting high, to being around those people because there was a power that was beyond human resource that saved me, that sanctified me. And God forbid that what he's done in my life, that I allow the enemy to taint the power of the Holy Spirit. That when I go to minister to a Muslim or when I go to minister to somebody on the street, God forbid that they see me at a liquor store buying alcohol and being the hypocrite that I don't want to be and they deny Jesus because of me. God forbid that we water down this pure gospel. God forbid. And if we have, repent. We live in the end days where the power of God must manifest more than ever. That when people hear you proclaim the name of Jesus, that they believe you. Because you're not being a hypocrite. 
that when we go to work, what are you reflecting? Do you have an attitude? Do you have a problem with your boss? Do you not like your coworkers and just rolling your eyes? But are you being a powerful testimony? Do you have the spirit of God living inside of you where people will believe what you say because you're a doer of the word? It grieves me. I'm trying my best. I'm not perfect. My husband can tell you all the stories. I'm not, but I'm trying. And this is one of the greatest ways that the enemy is trying to come in to mar the name of Christ in our lives, to mar and taint our testimonies. The young people, singles, when you're dating, we're not trying to control you. We're not trying to boss you around. We're trying to guard you. We're trying to set you up for the blessing of God and the enemy. He wants to curse you. He wants to taint you. We don't control people here, but we want to see you blessed. And that's why we tell you, don't find yourselves alone. Don't go by yourself. Don't talk to the brother by yourself. Don't talk to the man of God by yourself if you're the opposite sex. We say those things because we value the testimony that is in you. We value what Christ has done inside of you, and now it's taken so lightly. It's not a conviction anymore. It's an option now. When did conviction stop? We value this. I value this. I hope that you value it. And if you don't, go back to that place where you fell to your knees and you had an encounter with God. Go back to that place so you can remember, so you can stay grateful and be considerate of the Holy Spirit that dwells in us and with us day in and day out. In Romans 2, he says here in 221, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Because a man and a woman allowed the enemy to flaw their life, flaw their testimony, cause a destruction in their life. And not only in their life, but those around them. That the people can't believe them anymore. How we lived in our lives, how we lived a life to the fullest, proclaiming Christ with the power of the Holy Spirit. Or have we watered down the gospel have we caused sinners to believe that not even Jesus could give them the answer? There is an enemy ready to deceive us, ready to lie to us, ready to lie because he is the father of lies, because he, his native tongue is lies. He speaks no truth. He cannot speak the truth. But I want you to know that there is a God who loves us, who promised us a life so abundant that we would be overwhelmed with his blessing. He opened the eyes of the blind. 
He healed those who were sick. He raised those who were dead. When God says that he has a life, a life that is abundant, he means it. And I'm a witness of that. I live and I have a life so beyond that I've ever asked for. I was four years old in an orphanage with no mom, no dad, nobody to love me, no toys. And even in the midst, God rescued me. God used a Jewish family to adopt me and to raise me up in their ways and their customs. And if that was all that I had experienced, that was more than what I had asked for my life. And yet God still had more. God still had so much more. He saved me. He gave me a husband. He gave me children. I have my mind intact. I have my health. If those aren't the blessings of God, I don't know what the evidence is then. But God wants to remind us to be aware of the stranger's voice. And that if you have been listening to a voice that is not of God, to a voice that has been foreign, to a tongue that doesn't sound right, if you've been listening to another, you better be careful. You better watch out. Because the enemy is not just in the world, he's in the church. And he's ready to kill, steal, and destroy us. And I'm warning you today that if you're that sheep and you're listening to strange voices, you better get in line with your shepherd. You better take heed to what the word of God is saying. I want to encourage you to get under your leadership. I want you to get under that pastor. Get under that pastor's wife. Get under that minister. Get under that woman of God. Get under that man of God. So when the enemy comes in like a flood, you won't go in that flood. You won't drown in that flood. You won't be taken away in that flood. But you will know what the voice of God is speaking in your spirit. will bear witness. Be aware, church. Be aware of what strange voice you are listening to. The Bible says that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And he says here, I have come that they may have life and life abundantly. And I just want to share the last definition of what abundant means because this is the true and perfect and acceptable will of God for our lives. Can I get some tissue? Thank you. The word abundant, this is what God wants for you and I. The word abundantly means in the sense of beyond superabundance in quantity or superior in quality, advantage very highly beyond measure. In Ephesians 3.20, the word of God says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that as at work within us. I have the life that is abundant. How? I have a man of God. Quality. Not just in how he looks, but in how he conducts himself. He's a man of character. And I look at him, I'm like, man, you are quality. You ain't fine. You quality. When I look at my children, the abundantly talks about the quantity. 
I didn't want children, but God said, I'm going to bless you anyways. I love my children. He's given me a quantity of life and life that reflects the glorification of God. When we think of this, this is how God wants for us to live. Abundantly. But there's still an enemy out there that's ready to trick you, that's ready to sacrifice your anointing, that's ready and willing to trade the blessing of God for the curses of the enemy. I want you to stand up this morning. I pray, as the worship team comes up, I pray that if there's anything that you heard today, that it's the warning of God, the warning of the Holy Spirit. And this has been in me for several months now. And I believe that God had me wait to deliver this message for this day. And I know that God does not lie. His word does not fail. It proves truth. Anybody that says that God is a liar is straight from the hell. He comes straight from the grave, from Hades. And I want you to know that maybe you've been listening to voices, not of this shepherd, but a voice telling you, nobody loves you here at Victory Outreach Heart. You're not ever going to pursue your calling. Look at that pastor's wife. She doesn't even say hi to your wife. Ah, oh, look at the ministers. They're so imperfect. They think they're perfect. I'm not coming here. Maybe the enemy's been telling you, man, if you, only, if you had only stayed single, you wouldn't be having all these trials. If you had only married so-and-so and not this person, your life would be so much better. If you would only go to this other church, they would understand your calling and your anointing. They'll let you flow in the your calling. Those are lies. Lies of the enemy. Go ahead. Nobody will know that you and her or you and him are in secret sin. Nobody can tell. You're doing it in secret, remember? You're doing it in a place where nobody else can see you. And yet we may not see in the natural but there's a Holy Spirit that identifies everything. There's a God that says, I am everywhere. I am all-knowing. And so I want to ask you, please do not leave out those doors. I don't want to hinder the Holy Spirit. I want you to begin to pray right now. I want you to begin to pray and close your eyes and get intact get in tune with that Holy Spirit get in tune with his Holy Ghost and if any part of this message has spoken to you whether it be how the enemy has been lying to you and, and causing you to think if you would only sacrifice or maybe you thought that you were untouchable and that your name and that your testimony are great. Maybe the enemy has deceived you and it's been flawed somehow, some way. Or maybe you're just that person that you just want to live according to God's will and you want to live that abundant life. I want you to come up here. 
I want you to come up here and I want you between you and the Lord whatever God has spoken to you about don't come here out of emotion don't come here because you have to only come up to this altar if the Holy Spirit spoke directly to your soul this is between you and him no one is here to condemn but only to bring life and life that is abundant. I want you to talk to God. And saints, as you're out there in your seats, I want you to begin to pray. Don't watch us. Pray. Pray and begin to intercede. Pray and intercede right now that the enemy would have no place over the lives of these men and women of God. That the enemy would have no diversion that there would be no deceit that would manifest in their lives, but that Jesus would keep the sheep in the sheepfold and safe from the lies and the thief, the robber. Come on, saints. Between you and God.